man. And he comes from pastors in Rialto, California. He's coming to preach the word of the Lord. God bless Brother Booker. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and love him. God, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God, you're so mighty. We love you. We love you. We love you. Praise the name of the Lord. Been a been a long time since I've been called gangly. Man, I, I miss that word. I used to not like it, but I really what a compliment it was. Well, the Lord here. And uh, I pre- everything that has been said and done in order to make this meeting the success that it's been. And to this church, we, we, there's no words to express our appreciation. I mean that very, very, very much. And uh, Brother and Sister Lyles, you are a tremendous host and uh, ministers don't come to meetings like this unless they're treated right. And they've got a feeling like they're wanted and appreciated. And um, it's worth coming for. I'm going to tell you something, Brother Weeks, Brother, Brother Coon, my, you, you really need to get those tapes, CDs. And I'm not kidding. That was that was fabulous, and I'm not. I don't. I'm not into hyperbole. I mean it. That was, that was tremendous. That water looks good too. Praise God. I appreciate everybody that is here. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of First Kings, chapter number three. I'm sorry. I don't mean to torment you. But this is really going to torment you. I'm sorry. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, the food, the fellowship, music has been so tremendous. I don't even think we have harmonicas in California. But I wish we did. Man, man, that's something. That was really good. All of it just been so good. But the, the thing that has struck me the deepest and the most is the, is the ready receptivity for the word of the Lord and the hunger for the things of God that I have felt in these services. And I deeply, deeply appreciate it. It's good to be part of it. There were so many friends here tonight. And I'm not going to start calling names because I'll leave one of you out. But uh, it's so good to see all of my dear, dear, dear friends. God bless you. I'll call one. Steve McMullen, I love you very, very much. Good man. I'll call two. Brother Reeves, it's good to see you. God bless you. Brother Phillips, are you still here? He'll be right back. (laughs) Okay. That brother Phillips. There's another brother Phillips. Two brother Phillips. We got both bases covered. Praise God. And on and on. Appreciate all of you so much. Okay, I'm going to begin reading. 
1 Kings chapter number 3, and don't worry about the time. I'm not worried about it. I've been to Pine and back, praise God. So we're ready tonight. We're all right. We're doing very good. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Well, how would you like to have that? My. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child and know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people. Everybody say people. Which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitudes. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Amen. What do you say we pray together? And let's ask that our God would minister deeply tonight. We love you. God, we ask you, we beseech you. Lord Jesus, please, in your mercy, fill the sails of our souls, God, everyone. Help us, O oh God, to be on board with you in our hearts, minds, soul, spirits. God, do the work that only you are able to do. Open up our understanding and our minds and spirits. Fill them, God, with your deep desire for us tonight and in our future. In Jesus' name. God bless you so much. You may be seated. I deeply, deeply appreciate the ministry and the ministry that is represented here. I like what Brother Coon said. This, there are some places you go and you feel safe. I remember years ago, my older son made a comment. We'd had a minister come through and was preaching for us several nights. And he was just a young boy at that time. And he said, he said, Dad, you know, one reason I so enjoy that brother. I said, what's that? He said, well, he's ministering. You feel so safe. You don't always feel that, but it means something. I feel safe in this place tonight and appreciate the ministry that is represented here. Now, for all of that, I... Uh, I believe in a perfectly balanced ministry, but I have yet, and as dearly and deeply as I love everybody here, 
I've yet to meet the most the, the perfectly balanced minister. And I, I look at this one in the mirror most every day, and I, I, I don't see one in here, my mirror. Uh, that meaning that we all need each other. I believe in a perfectly balanced ministry that we need each other because we all have our weaknesses, our idiosyncrasies, our, our areas. Some are strong in eschatology and some are strong in evangelism and some are, are strong in this area or that area. Amen. But, but uh, we're all so, amen, lacking in some areas, all of us. So we need each other desperately. And God knew this. This is why, in order to perfect the church, he gave some apostles, plural, and some, amen, prophets, plural, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all plural. He gave all of that for the perfecting of the saints and uh, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Any pastor that thinks that they can do it by themselves, perfect the church they pastor, is living in a fool's paradise. I learned a long time ago, I need all the help I can get and then some. Amen. Nobody can perfect a church by themselves. We all need it. This is why meetings like this are so important. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. There's a lot of voices Amen. A lot of sounds being uttered in the world we're living in and in the religious world we are living in. And not every sound is edifying. And not every sound is a call for strength. And we hear a lot of call for unity, but not as, you know, well, we'll go there too much. Praise God. But, uh, but there's a lot of other sounds that we're not hearing. Now, I trust we've all lived long enough to know that Big doors, big doors, swing on little hinges. Just little hinges can carry great big doors. Like one day, a man named Abram went into Egypt. And while he was there, he uh, picked up a handmaid for his wife, a man by the name of Hagar. And big doors swing on little hinges. And we have a world amen, in the Middle East and beyond its borders now that are at each other's throats, desperately so in a fight for the death. That door swung on a hinge those thousands of years ago. One day Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom and a big door swung on a little hinge. One day David did not go to battle and a big door swung on a little hinge, amen. We know that uh, we are about a quarter of a million miles from the moon, 239,000. And uh, we've paid the moon a visit through our Apollo program. And uh, it was quite a chore, quite, quite, quite the deal getting a man to the moon. Much of the technology that we enjoy or, or masters us today Amen. Come from the Apollo program. You wouldn't have a cell phone. You would not have a laptop computer. You wouldn't even have a microwave in your home had we not put a man on the moon. These things are all spin-offs and offshoots of the technology mastered 
for that so that now you have more if you have a car that you bought in the last three years you've got more computers in your car than they had in the Apollo spacecraft amen and so big doors swing on little hinges and uh, in the process of trying to to get a a, a craft to the moon uh, there's so many things to consider you know the earth is spinning on its axis a thousand sixty six miles an hour at the equator 840 miles at uh, Houston Cape Canaveral and then it's moving around <clears throat> uh, slowly around the Sun it's pretty fast really 66,000 miles an hour but you know it's all things relative and uh, and so it's not like you got to get a straight shot at this target out there that's 3,400 miles wide in its diameter. It wasn't a case of just aiming a rocket. You had to get the rocket out of the atmosphere of the Earth, so it had to work its way circumventally around and then head out there about a quarter of a million miles. And in the process of that, they say that the spacecraft was on course less than 1% of the time. It was on course less than 1% of the time. If, if they were going to shoot it straight like you would an arrow, if that was possible, and aimed for dead reckoning center, if here on Earth at that distance they would have been just one degree off, just one, they would not have hit the center of the moon, they wouldn't have hit the edge of the moon, they would have missed the moon by over 2,500 miles. Amen. Just one degree off. And so working it the way they could, trying to get it to the moon, they were not on target, amen, any more than 1% of the time. And we're not trying to go to the moon. We're trying to get from here to heaven. And just his thoughts are as high above our thoughts as the heavens is above the earth. And we're trying to get to his domain. And so I, I wonder sometimes... <laughs> What the percentage of the time we're really on course? I mean, dead reckoning. I wonder how many times we're really on. We, when we say we're really on, I wonder how really on we are. So, point being, we all need a lot of mid-course correction. That's why don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is people think they got it down and they're going to find out they've missed this thing by millions of miles i need i need somebody to preach to me i need somebody to help me i need somebody to help me get my act together repeatedly i need church i need the word of god i need the man of god i need god to help me i need movings of the holy ghost because i don't want to go to the moon i want to go all the way to the glory land amen and I am not a perfectly balanced minister, but I believe in a perfectly balanced ministry. And between those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, he's going to get the job done. He's going to have a church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church. Amen. But we do need to take advantage of every opportunity and every good, precious thing that God has provided. Lest we miss the mark and you do understand that the word sin literally means miss the mark I don't want to miss the mark 
I do not want to miss the mark. So we need great, 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 great correction. And often, and whom the Lord loves, he's going to give it to him. Now, David made it to glory. If I understand what little eschatology I do understand, he is going to rule and reign. Uh, we know the Lord is going to be king of the whole earth. David, I find, is going to be back in Jerusalem. I want to be in that number. I don't know what five cities or ten cities I'm going to rule. I used to fear that it would be Miami, Pitcher, Commerce, North Miami, and uh, Baxter Springs, Kansas, <laughs> of uh, Oklahoma. But thank God, maybe now it'll be Rialto and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It won't be Jerusalem. That's going to be David. David made it. He made it. But David, if you'll remember, kept people around him that would help him, amen, make it all the way to glory. He had his counselors. He had prophets round about him. He kept them there. There was Nathan and there was Gad. And he would use and call from a man who, when he was right, his voice was as the oracles of God by the name of Ahithophel and another by the name of Hushai. Amen. And, and he kept people around that would talk to him. And even if it was a woman from, from Zarephath, she could talk sense to him. He was open to correction. Amen. If it was a prophet by the name of Nathan that would say, Thou art the man. He would humble himself thoroughly. Amen. He would write, as it were, with his own sweated out blood, the 51st Psalm. And by the time he was done, he would be right with his God. But his predecessor, Solomon, who were the counselors in his life? I, I don't see any. And the man that was before him, amen, Saul, who were the counselors in his life? He had one for a while, but he basically told him, shut up, I don't want to hear from you, by the name of Samuel. And so he shut up. And when he finally did speak, had to be called back from the grave to say, tomorrow you're dead. Uh, he realized, I should not have shut down these voices in my life. I should have kept people around that would, I could listen to and I could talk to. David made it because he kept voices in his life that would tell him the truth. Amen. We find that Solomon, he, he, he messed up horribly, badly. Now, so did his father. But David did not end in failure. But Solomon, who said that the day of a man's death is more important than the day of his birth, nevertheless, the day of his death was not nearly as shining as the day of his birth. I trust he made it. It's up for, up for grabs there, depending on how you look at the book of Ecclesiastes in those last few verses. Amen. I, I, hope, I hope he did. But I do know this, that if he pulled out of the downward spiral that he'd found himself in, he had to pull himself up with the help of God out of some very deep, deep-seated, rooted cynicism, skepticism, coldness, indifference. And it's hard to plow people out of that, especially if you're the king. 
and everybody's afraid to say anything around you. So I hope he made it, but if he did, it will be a great grand miracle. But God's mercy can do awesome things. You say, what all does that have to do with the text that we read? Because here he is very young in his reign as king. He is just starting out. He's gone to Gibeon. The temple has not yet been built, assembled. Amen. He uh, hasn't been king very long. He's still going up to a high place to offer up a sacrifice. Thousands upon thousands of offerings may not have been the best arrangement, and it wasn't. God didn't like those high places. But nevertheless, God did meet him there in a dream. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And we've read his prayer, his prayer. I'm going to give you the title of what I want to talk to you about tonight. And I want to lodge that in our minds so it's there and we can maybe rally around it. I want to talk to you about, amen, the beautiful but imperfect prayer of Solomon. It was a beautiful prayer. It was an unbelievably beautiful prayer. A prayer that even God was pleased with. But I want to propose to you tonight that it had a flaw in it. There was something there that was less than stellar and perfect. Nevertheless, God was pleased with it as far as it went. He accepted it. He blessed him because of it. But he also blessed him in spite of some things that were lacking in that prayer. And I'm not just shooting through my hat. Hopefully I can prove what I want to say tonight. It's just like him meeting him on that high place. And we have direct speech, amen, given by God that he did not want people worshiping on every green hill. And going up into the high places, we find prophets before Solomon ever showed up that pointed out that's not what we do. There is a tabernacle, sir. Amen. And that temple was built. And even in the days of Hezekiah, when Hezekiah really got down to business with God, he brought down all the high places that were round about. And God was pleased with him for doing so. So you see a less than perfect situation, though he is doing this, no doubt in sincerity, and God did meet with him. But thus because he met with him does not mean he was putting his stamp of approval on everything. So it is with his prayer. It's good. It's great. But there is a basic intrinsic flaw. But that which was good, God would bless and God would honor. He does those kinds of things. Amen. Hallelujah. He can be pleased with something that is less than perfect because if he knows there's going to be some mid-course correction. And it may not be perfect, but I can work with this, and we'll, we'll get it out. I'll give you a case in point scripturally. Amen. Genesis 28 tells us that Jacob, amen, he's on his way. He's, he's fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau. He's hoodwinked his, 
his father at the instigation of his mother. And now he's, he's made a, got a bunch of stones together and he put him, laid it down for his bed, his pillow. And God comes and God meets him in the night and he sees the ladder, the stairway to glory and the angels of God ascending and descending. And, and, they, and my Bible says, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if, everybody say if. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Now that's quite a little list there. Then shall the Lord be my God. Now that's a little tacky. I mean, what about, you're my God, seeing how you're my God. I would like you to be with me and go with me. And, but he says, if you'll do this, that, that, and the other, then you're going to be my God. And the stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So God, here I am. If you'll do thus and so and this and that and that and the other, you'll be my God and I'll pay my tithes. Now, brethren, you must admit, that's pretty tacky. I've, I've pastored a few Jacobs in my life. And God met him. God met him. And God kept him. And God helped him. But that was not the seal of total approval. He knew, okay, Jacob, I'll work with you, you little sidewinder. Hallelujah. Because... I'm in your future, and we're going to have a lot of meetings, and there's going to be a lot of mid-course corrections. Amen. I, I got a Laban in your future, Bubba, and you think you're going to get Rachel, and you're going to get Leah, and you're going to find out what disappointment is all about, <laughs> and you're going to get a lot of opportunities to pray through for it's over, and that, that, that father-in-law of yours, I'll, I'll allow him to rise up and raise and change your wages ten times. A lot of mid-course corrections. I'm going to humble you for it's over. And I can look down the road, and I see a day you're going to come back here. And when you meet me again, this if you do thus, so that's going to be out. We're going to wrestle it out of you. And when that night's over, you ain't ever going to walk the same again. And you're going to be out of step with this world, but you're finally going to be really in step with me. And I'm changing your name. It's not going to be Jacob, and it's not going to be heel grabber. It's not going to be conniver, if you please, but I'm going to change it to Israel, prince with God and power with God. Thank God for a lot of mid-course corrections. I'm glad God does not choose us on the merit of where he found us. Who would be able to stand? You talk about worthless. It's like, it's like Gideon hiding behind the wine press, burying the barley. And the angel of the Lord says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And even he caught it. Me? Well, you ain't much now, but when I get through with you, I'm going to make you into something. Hallelujah. Thank God for mid-course corrections. 
Thank God for a ministry, a five-fold ministry that, that God keeps bringing by and God keeps working not only on us and each other but on the saints of God because he's got a church and honey, when the trumpet sounds, it's going to come together. It's going to meet him in the air. There ain't going to be the sound of an axe or a hammer or, or, or something shaving it down. It's going to be ready. Hallelujah. So he works on us now amen so at that point god was honored i mean god honored solomon's prayer it was beautiful it was heartfelt it was sincere it had tremendous great merit it offered humility see he said i'm but just a little child but i would like you to notice something about that prayer Everything about it was entirely people word. It was towards people. I want this because of the people. Solomon said, you showed my father great mercy. He walked before you. So God, I want you to hear me. I don't know how to come in or go out, if you please, before this people. And your servant's in the midst of your people, which you've chosen. And they're a great people. And they can't be numbered or counted for multitude. So give me some understanding that I can know. I need a heart to judge your people. Discern between good and bad concerning your people. Who's able to judge so great a people? That's good. That's fine. But listen, left to itself on that merit only without modifying balance, mid-course correction, it could and it did miss the mark. It was good for the time and the place, but everything he said was so people word. And you look at the man's life. It was all about people. All about people. Now, is that bad? Doesn't the Bible say that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Yeah, it does. But it also says that is the second greatest commandment and that's a great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself but i'm going to tell you that second part which is what he was offering without the first part thou shalt love the lord thy god with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength that's the first and the greatest commandment Hallelujah. And can I propose to you that Solomon picked up on the second, but he let the first go by the wayside. And everything about him and his kingship, his life, his teachings, his ministry became solely a people word, direction, one direction only. 
Give me everything I need for good judgment towards the people. Let me have understanding that I can work in this realm here below. Brethren, can I tell you, it's going to take more. It's going to take more, a whole lot more than understanding people and their problems in order to get them to heaven. Understanding people and understanding their problems is not going to get them to heaven. Somewhere they've got to get hooked up to the God that can do something about all that. Somewhere they got to be, they got appointed, amen, to him. Somewhere the man's got to say, come on now. I've got to decrease. He's got to increase. You've got to get a hold of this. We can administrate. We can plan. We can organize. We can, but oh, buddy, there is a first and great commandment. I want you to look to him. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. He's the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. Come on. Solomon's good and Solomon's great and Solomon's mighty. He was, he was unbelievable. We'll talk about it in a minute. But Solomon ain't enough to get you to heaven for all his glory. Jesus said, come on now. Check him out in all of his glory. I'm telling you, one God-ordained clothed lily. Solomon ain't dressed like that. Because God did that. Hallelujah. Stick with me here. Stick with me here. Hallelujah. God was as good as his word. He always is. He was faithful to Solomon and his promises. And Solomon kept his people word direction and he never veered from it to the point that he concerned himself so much with things here below and people here below things on earth the way they worked the wisdom below that he came to the place I'm telling you he forgot how to really look up and come up for air. Hallelujah. And brethren, if we're going to make it, and we're going to help these people to make it, we've got to learn how to come up for air. We've got to learn how to get back in His presence. Maybe I'm, I'm spinning off the theme of last night, and, 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 and maybe, I don't know, I'm just, well, God, it's in your hands. Hallelujah. But somewhere we got, somewhere He would have done those people a far greater service if He could back up a little bit even from the writing of his Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and on, and back up a little bit and start drenching himself in the presence of God like his father David used to do. Amen. Till David would get to the place he would dance so robustly before God and man that the Saul's daughters would laugh at him. He said, if you think I was bad tonight, you wait till I hook up with God tomorrow. I, I'm going I'm to get ashamed of myself for it's over. David knew about people. David had an army that had good men and sons of Belial all his days. But David, David knew how to how and when and where to step back and say, boys, 
Now, you know when all of his men turned on him, Ziklag, he lost wives, kids, goods, and they were going to stone him. I wonder what Solomon would have done. He would have looked for the wisdom that would have come out of him. He would start talking. Neither. But David said, okay. And he said, I'll be back in a little while. And he got behind the rocks. Well, God, it's me and you again. And if I'm going to get any encouragement, it's going to come from you. Hallelujah. We got to hook it up. And my Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I don't know how much he had to say when he got out of that tent or out behind those rocks, but there was just a look on his face. Maybe, maybe he stumbled out a little bit. Maybe, maybe he's laughing in the Holy Ghost. Maybe they, they heard him. <laughs> and he came out. Hey, get on your horses. We're going to go find them critters and we're bringing them all back. What's he say? Let's go. Okay, yeah. And Solomon would have set up all the tables and people sat down. And somewhere we got to learn how to look up and never quit looking up. Hallelujah. Because if we go to number two without going through number one, we're going to miss the moon. We're going to miss heaven. We're going to, we got to, it, it takes the two of them. It takes the both. It takes the both. Amen. Jesus said, these are the first greatest commandments. Amen. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. For only from on these two hang all the law and the prophets. When he went to Calvary, it was those two commandments that nailed him to the tree. Amen. The, the, the vertical love for his father, the humanity to the divinity, the flesh to the spirit, that love that was so vast. And I'm not preaching dualism. I hope you know that. But the revelation that Jesus said, as the father hath loved me. Whoa. How deep, how profound was the love of the Spirit that couldn't bleed, couldn't die, tempts no man, can't be tempted. But he loved man so much that it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. And he robed himself through a womb and God incarnate. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And in that humanity, God, this, this divinity that couldn't bleed, suffer or die or be tempted, robed himself in human flesh. And through that body, he could now be in all points tempted like as we are. 
yet without sin. Now God could shed blood. God could be tempted if you please. God could taste death for every man through the auspices of that humanity. How much did the Spirit love that flesh? How much did the divinity love that humanity in whom dwells all the fullness of God bodily? Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, that's how much I love my neighbor. So have I loved thee. But you can't have number two without number one. And it was that love for the will of his father that in the garden said, I don't want this cup if it's possible. Let it pass. But if it's what you want. And his love for his fellow man Nailed him. And Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. It was those two commandments that bought our ticket out of here. Because he is the only one that could ever fulfill that completely. All of us need mid-course correction. All of us need all the help we can get. Hallelujah. And David, for his faults and foibles and failures, he kept men around that would help correct him and keep his head on straight when he got off. And Solomon, it was so good. It was, it was so beautiful. It was so awesome. Even God said, hey, that's good. You pray that, I'm going to do thus and so, and I'm going to bless you. But Solomon never changed his direction. God stayed to his word. But Solomon, he should have interjected in there. And God, no matter what about those people, thy great people, whatever else happens, help me to love you more than I've ever loved anything or anybody in my world. You've got to be number one. Help me, God. Oh, if he could have closed up that prayer with this, with this God word, with this towards him, with this in God. Whatever happens with the people, the highs, the lows, the goods, the bads, the idiosyncrasies, God, between me and you, there can never be a breach. We've got to hang in there together. But his prayer, as beautiful as it was, was imperfect because it was people word, people word, people word. And it would have been fine if he'd have got mid-course correction, but he didn't. He did not. And so, there he was. Amen. We see it. He built a temple. It was unbelievable. Everything went so good. It seemed so awesome. So I was great, he said, and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was my portion. 
of all my labor. He built the temple. If you were going to try and build that temple today, you better scrape together over $85 billion to build the temple that he built with the gold and the silver and the wood and the stone and all that went into it. And then when he dedicated it, five million people plus Amen. From his own stores, 20,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. What all the people gave said could not be numbered. But that was his own personal offering. 20,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. Amen. We're talking about big business. We're talking about mighty. We're talking about unbelievable. We're talking about glorious. Amen. There he was. And, 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 and we see his wisdom that it excelled at 1 Kings 4. The wisdom of all the children of the East Country and the wisdom of Egypt. Amen. For he was wiser than all all men than Ethan the Ezraite and Hermon and Calcol and Darda and the sons of Mahol and his fame was in all nations round about. He spake 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He also talked about trees. He talked about the trees from cedar of the Lebanon. Amen. He went on to the, talk about the hyssop that springeth up out of the wall. He, he spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things. He became quite a biologist. Amen. The fishes. And there came unto him all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth that heard of his wisdom. But notice, everything is earthward. Fish, fowl, beasts, trees, people. It's earthward. It's impressive. But it's earthward. You know, James talks about two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom that is above, and there's wisdom that is beneath. Who is the wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't glory and don't lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. Envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But there's another kind of wisdom. That's the wisdom. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated hallelujah you can talk to the wisdom from above you can counsel to the wisdom above you can point a finger from the wisdom from above and a man will receive it amen it's gentle it's full of mercy good fruits it doesn't have partiality it's without hypocrisy amen solomon for a while lest you think i'm crazy he drew from both he really did he had great great insight into the human heart the book of Proverbs mainly draws from that wisdom which is from above. But so much, as you read it, and that's fine, because it's true, it's God-given, deals with people. But you see bright lights of things above. Okay? By the time you get to Ecclesiastes, it's a different story. Ecclesiastes is different. And it's there for a reason. He's not drawing nearly from above. It's beneath. It's there. Now when it was from both, it's like the sons of God that married the daughters of men. Wow, you come up awake there, didn't you? Hallelujah. You say, what happened? I don't know. And right now, I don't want to know. <laughs> <Right here. laughs> but whatever happened when those 
sons of men saw the daughters, sons of God saw the daughters of men, amen, when they got together, it, it produced giants. Wherever you perceive them to be, regardless, they were giants. Which means, one, whatever they were, they were very impressive. Number two, they were great in stature. And number three, they're like the 600-pound gorilla. They're very difficult to contain. And when you mix things above with things beneath, a lot of times you get giants. You mix just enough heavenly with enough earthly, and you're going to get a, now God calls it a freak, but, but it's impressive freak. It sits where it wants to. It does what it wants. It goes where it wants to go. And it's got just enough from above and from beneath that, 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 that it's really impressive. And it can lure and, and it draws from things spiritual as well as things carnal. Amen. And so you draw from things heavenly and things earthly. And it's amazing, as far as the flesh is concerned, what it can seem to produce. Amen. That's why there are preachers today that play both sides of the fence with the oneness of God and the Trinity. I mean, depending on who they're talking to and what the crowd is, they'll preach oneness. You put them in another crowd and they'll be very careful to couch those terms correctly and, you know, not cause any problems and, and on and on and on. So there's a mixing of the two and it creates quite a giant. And it seems really impressive to a lot of people. But God looks at you and says, that's a freak. Come on now. You are either one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, or you're not. Listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and meddle here for a second. When you play both sides of the, cent, of, the, of the tent, you hear me. You hear me. Trinity will always win. Trinity will always win. Amen. Because there's some things you don't play with. If you don't believe that, amen, go to the, to the apostolic faith mission that Florence Crawford started, one of the founders of Azusa Street, that when Portland for years taught such, I preached for men that came out from under her, that got the revelation while she taught them and prayed for them. But she allowed that you know, Trinity was... Well, guess what? Today, it's a Trinity movement. And you can go to the same thing, the Apostolic Faith Movement in Canada. Because they say, well, you know, it's going to be... Well, guess what? Today, it's Trinity. And you can go on and on and on. You do understand that the Quakers used to be oneness. They're not now. They're not now. I preached in Missouri, amen, years ago. I preached about... And, and read excerpts from William Penn's writings. And a woman took it to a little Quaker church, and she said, oh yes, that's what all the Quakers used to believe. Said there's only two left in the United States that still believe that. I'm going to tell you, some things are worth fighting for. You hear me? Some things are worth fighting for. There is but one God, and His name is Jesus! Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
you don't think it makes a difference, I'm going to really meddle here. You do know that the assemblies, and I hardly ever call the name of a church. Hardly ever. I'm not tacky. Okay? But the assemblies of God taught. Taught. It was in their formation. They were a Pentecostal movement. You got the Holy Ghost when you spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And if that didn't happen, you didn't have it yet. Old Brother Floyd, and I'm writing a book about it. He was on a train. This is years after 1916. And anybody ever hear the name F.F. F. Bosworth? One of, their, one of their big heroes. Had a huge church in Dallas. He started teaching early on that speaking in tongues was not necessarily the only sign that you had the Holy Ghost. But he had a huge church in Dallas. And it was like a 600-pound gorilla. You know, you just don't want to mess with it. So, A.G. Gar. Anybody ever hear of A.G. Gar? He got the Holy Ghost of Azusa Street. He went into the assemblies. But A.G. Gar taught, buddy, until you talk in other tongues, the Spirit of God gives you You didn't have the Holy Ghost. Well, Bosworth, Brother Floyd, this is on, he taped it. I taped him. He said uh, Bosworth went on a long journey overseas. He was gone for several weeks, and he asked A.G. Gar to come and watch his church. Well, A.G. Gar got in there, and he started teaching. Hey, it's Holy Ghost time. You want the Holy Ghost? Come and get it. You speak in other tongues, and the Spirit of God gave you utterance. He kept preaching that, and about five or six weeks, over 300 people in that church received the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues, obviously. Well, when Mr. Bosworth came back, he had a problem. Because there was 300 very excited people. And they said, hey, it didn't feel like this before we had that. And went, why, 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 why weren't you telling us about this? Because this is the real deal. And you had some more left. Saying, we ain't spoken tongues yet. What's the deal? And so he was kind of in a tight. Brother Floyd was on a train, and he was not in the in the uh, assemblies because they 1916 they showed the one at the door, and uh, and then and then when he was the first secretary, the very first one in this organization, he was that for a few years. And by this time, he wasn't in in, uh, in uh, any of the organizations. And he's on a train, but he was very well respected. And, and here was Bosworth and Gar on their way to a assemblies convention. Because they were going to hash this out at the convention. Because Bosworth had a problem. And Gar said, yes, you do have a problem. And we're taking it to the board. And the, uh, the whole conference. So Brother Floyd was on the plane, train. They sat down and said, judge this between us. So they heard Bosworth. They heard Gar. And he said, well, you guys are going to have to figure that out. He said, but obviously I hold with A.G. Gar. But you guys going on the assembly, you're going to figure it out. They never had the discussion. Somehow they figured a way they wouldn't have to deal with it. Guess who won? F.F. F. Bosworth. And that's why today, even by their own reckoning, and I'm not being their own reckoning from their general superintendent, 
less than 20% of the people in the assemblies today have the Holy Ghost. And 40% of their preachers don't have it. So it may be quite a giant for a while when you mix things spiritual and things carnal. But honey, it ain't going to last in the long haul. Somewhere, somewhere, we got to say, hey, this is not just a people word thing. We're in this to please God. We're in this to hold to His truth. We're in this because of His book. Come on, I've got to love you first, and then it'll work for me to love the people, right? Somewhere in the midst of it, Solomon became so people word, amen, that, 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 that it, he lost his way. Can I tell you, it's still going to be this way. God is going to prevent, present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's going to be holy, and it's going to be without blemish. We better determine, brethren, that first and foremost we're tuned into the voice of heaven. We're not going to do the people any good if we're more people-minded than we are heaven-minded. They've got to hear the voice of God. So we read books. We have seminars. We hear a lot about leadership. We call these things church growth. While much of it's good, but no, listen. You ever notice how much of that is all people work? It's people work. God, there's got to be a meeting somewhere. Somebody's got to tell me. I need mid course corrections all along the way. Somebody help me to know how to deal with God. Somebody help me to help me seek God. I got somewhere in all of this, I got to please God. I got to know God. I got to understand Him. I got to love Him. I've got to hear from Him. Somewhere I got to go back to the roots of what this thing is really all about. It's walking with Him and talking with Him. It's knowing Him. It's obeying Him. And if I get that right, then everything else is going to be all right. But if I go to the second without going through the first, you'll end up like Solomon, who started out so well, so very well, but he didn't have the mid-course corrections. And he missed the mark. He missed the moon. He missed the heavenlies by thousands of miles. Amen. Notice this. Solomon awoke. Behold, it was a dream. This is verses 15 of chapter 3. And he came to Jerusalem. He stood before the ark of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, peace offerings. Very, very good. He made a feast to all of his servants. Then there came to him two women that were harlots under the king and stood before him. The first rattle out of the box he deals with two harlots, and you don't get much more earthly than that. But what insights into the mind of man that he had. Cut the baby in two. And the one woman stepped back with a sneer, and the other woman fell across it. No! Don't touch the baby! Give it to her. That's the mother. 
That's impressive. So he was king over Jerusalem. But notice, he gave his heart. He gave his heart. He gave his heart to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the heaven. Ecclesiastes 1.12 This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised thereby. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. These are the conclusions he's coming up with because he's given himself to what's going on here below. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with my heart saying, oh, come on now, I've come to great estate. I've got more wisdom than everybody before me in Jerusalem. I've got great experience of wisdom and knowledge and I gave my heart to know wisdom, amen, and to know madness and folly. And I perceive this was vexation of spirit and, and in much wisdom there's much grief and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow why because it's all beneath 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 it's like i preached last night we start out and we're so heavenly we're so hooked up and then we start building or we start working with the building inspectors and the city councils and the people and i love everybody and the preachers and the situations and if we're not careful and we hear this and we hear that and we learn this and we learn that we hear this about that brother and his sister and that and we find out all kinds of things here beneath and honey if you don't get like David out behind the rocks out into the holy place and get a hold of God and come up for air if you don't get some mid-course corrections, amen, from God and from godly men, you're going to find yourself like Solomon who became a cynic and a skeptic. This man that gave himself, he said, I sought in my heart to give myself now unto wine and acquainting myself with wisdom and yet to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men that they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I got me gardens and orchards. I planted trees and all kinds of fruits. I made me, amen, uh, good pools of water to water the trees, amen, to bring forth the wood. I did all of these things, amen. And, uh, and behold, there was there was confusion and there was strife and there was every evil work he said I got me servants and maidens and, and great possessions and I got cattle and I got silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings everything beneath singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all sorts so I was great and I increased more than anybody before me in Jerusalem and my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever my eyes desired anything beneath he wanted he did not keep from them and withheld my heart for not from any joy my heart rejoiced in all my labor that was my portion and then i looked one day i woke up and snapped the coffee i looked on all the works my hands had wrought and all the labor i'd labored to do and all was vanity and all was vexation of spirit and there was no prophet under the sun. I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. 
What can the man do that cometh after the king? I saw it all. And in verse 17, he said, Therefore, I hated life. Everything beneath. Brother Coon, you preach today about don't cut down the fruit trees. I made mention. It's a shame to see a person that goes through life cutting down every fruit tree that gets in their way. They're going to get, bless your heart. And they'll cut. I remember an old man. I'm not going to say the state. I'm not going to say the city. I'm certainly not going to say the name. He's been a leader many, many years. Many. I hate to say this. When I met him, he'd been preaching for 50 years. And every now and then he would boast that he had not talked in tongues one time since the day he got the Holy But he was old now. And he had a barren landscape. I would make it a point every time I went to his city. I would go see him. I would sit down. I would talk to him. I'd take him and his wife out to eat. He'd say, why do you come see me? Why do you come help me? I've got men in this district I pulled strings for. I've got men I did deals for. I've got things I did for people through the years. And nobody comes to see me. My own son and my own daughter don't even come to see me. And I'd look over at his wife and she didn't look exactly tickled to be there either. And I was looking at a man that had a barren landscape. He'd cut down every fruit tree got in his way. And now he was old and he wanted to eat and there was nothing left. He'd given himself to everything beneath and anything that got in his way, he took it out of the way. And he'd say, why do you come see me? And I said, because if the Lord tarries and I tarry waiting, I'm going to be an old man someday. And I want God to remember my visits to you. And he'd cry. And I'd dry his cheeks and take him out to eat. And I'd leave saying, God, Please, please, in the midst of this, let me learn how to get behind the veil. Let me never forget that you're first and you're foremost. I don't want to know so much I turn into a cynic. I don't want to learn so much I become a skeptic, a disenchanted, satiated old man like Solomon that nothing makes him happy. He knew all about people and how to do with people, 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 but he lost sight of number one. 
and it robbed him. It sucked him dry. And he never learned how to replenish the virtue with the washing of regeneration and renewing. I... What I'm preaching right now is more important than we think. And I'm afraid it's far more important than we realize. And that's a big part of what's happening with us. Come on, I'm interested in people. I'm in the people business and all of that stuff. But every, come on now, I got to get away. We got to get away. Brethren, we got to get away. Sister, brother, sister, you got and you got you to get behind the veil. And you got to say, come on now, God. We're going to renew this thing. We're going back to our first love. We're going back to righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to get hooked up with you. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. There's got to be a freshness. There's got to be an excitement. There's got to be, hey, mom and daddy, your kids have got to see it. They've got to see that you enjoy Pentecost. They've got to see that you enjoy God. Church is not meant to be a drudgery. It's got to be a blessing. And it's not going to be that way. Unless he's number one. I am about to close. Musicians, come. Give us hope. Let's stand. I got, I got more scriptures to choke a horse. But I'm going to close. I'm closing. He's old now. Let's say that David had not died. Let's just say he had watched his son through the years. And now they're old. And you go to Solomon. And think hit him at the conclusion of the matter. And he'd step up to the mic. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them. This is not the same God that talked about so great thy people. Now it's all he's dealt with is people, people, people and he never came up for air. He said I wish these people might see themselves for what they are. They're beasts. This is 3.18 through chapter 4, verse 3. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beast. Every one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dies another. They all inhale, they all exhale. They all got one breath. Man don't have any more preeminence than above a beast. It's all vanity. They're all going to the grave. They're all going to one place. They're all of the dust. They're all going back to dust again. 
Who knows the spirit of man that goes upward, the spirit of the beast that goes downward. I perceive there's nothing better than that a man should just rejoice in his own works. That's his portion. That's all he's going to get. Who's going to bring him to see what shall be after him? I returned. I considered all the oppression that's done under the sun. Behold the tears of the people that were oppressed. They had no comforter. On their side was the oppressors and the people with the power. They had no comforter. I came to the place. I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are yet alive. Yet better than they both is the one that was never born at all, who never saw all the work that was done under the heavens. Now, how would you like that man to be your pastor? Cynical, skeptical, dealt with people to the purple, but never learned the art of coming up for air. I'm going to tell you something. Can I, can, I, can I say something? If you have prayer before service, that is not the time to take your problems to the pastor. Leave him alone and let him pray. Let him pray. Let him pray. Let him pray. You need him to talk to God far worse than you need him to talk to you. Let him get refreshed. Let him get behind the veil. Let him get excited. And so now you take the mic while Solomon sulks off into his miserable, disenchanted, satiated, prematurely old condition. Bitter ugly, empty, cold. And then you take the microphone to David who fought so many giants and lions and bears in-laws and outlaws and inner struggles and out of his own iniquities he said are more than the hairs on his head let alone the enemies without. Come on David, how do you feel about it? He lift that old wrinkled face. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who hath set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you might steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy finger, the sun, the moon, and the star, while Solomon was looking down at everything, David was looking up. At the sun and the moon and the star. Two men looked up from prison bars. One saw mud. In the other saw star. What are we going to see when we look out the windows of life? The mud of problems, the mud of failures. Amen. The mud that God formed in the human beings that have troubles and struggles and, and struggles, struggles and trials and traumas. And that's real. But the greatest thing you can have is people that look upwards. 
He's big. He's mighty. He's on the throne. He's God forever! When I consider the sun and the moon and the stars, what is man? That thou art mindful of him. And the son of man, that thou visitest him. Listen to what he said. Solomon said he ain't no better than a beast. David said, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made man to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. All sheep, all oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowls of the air. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And that's why David could go out with glory and honor. And Solomon would go out with ignominy and defeat. I preached a long time. I'm sorry. But is there anybody that wants to say, hey, God, it's time to look up. I'm tired of problems on the job, problems in the house, problems in the neighborhood, problems in the church. I've got to look up. I've got to get a hold of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's in this house right now. I believe if you'll lift your hands right where you are and start talking to him, the God of glory. The God of glory! The God of glory! He wants to help us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to show us the way. God, you mighty. Jesus, Jesus.
trouble. Just work it, just move it. Play there with someone around you. Somebody needs a restoration. 